You are listening to a message from Victory Alabang. Get the latest updates by visiting victoryalabang.org or like us on facebook.com slash victoryalabang. Today we are in the second installment of Beyond the Signs. How many of you were uh, here last week and you've actually, uh, all right, uh, you've heard of the message? We're going through the book of John and John basically has just chosen uh, seven miracles. In fact, he did not even call them miracles. He called them signs. And uh, he meticulously just have chosen uh, seven. Uh, some of them were not even mentioned in the first three Gospels, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Uh, the first miracle being, uh, you know, when we talked about last Sunday, about the miracle of uh, him turning water into wine. You will not find that in the other Gospels. And today, we're also going to be looking at the second sign, uh, is also not found in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And so there's something beyond signs. And, you know, I know that you're all familiar with signs. You see signs everywhere, okay? Signs are, you know, ha- you know are placed all across uh, the city. You see that in parking spaces, inside a building, uh, on streets in South Super Highway. But signs are meant to uh, point us to something or someone. Signs also give us like a warning. Signs also uh, give us certain information about that particular place. And so John used the miracles of Christ and called them signs in order for him to make sure that these signs point them specifically to Christ himself. Uh, We are not to worship signs. We're not to worship the pastors or the prophets and the evangelists who bring about the signs. But the reason why we've entitled this beyond the signs is because we need to worship the person behind uh, the sign. Okay, And so John specifically used uh, this book and has summarized uh, this book by saying this in John chapter 20, verse 30. And he said, Now Jesus did many other what? Signs. Everybody say signs. Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. Obviously, it's only just seven signs that he has included in the book. But these are written so that you may believe. Everybody say believe. Look at the person beside you and tell that person, believe. Okay, so these signs were written so that you and I may believe that Jesus is Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you and I will have life in His name. So Jesus wants His audience to fully understand and comprehend who the miracle worker is, who the Son of God is, who's the, who the life bringer is, who is the one that gives us eternal life. And more than just us following signs, we want to be able to follow Jesus Himself. Amen. So we're not here to follow just signs and stop there, but we're called as disciples of Jesus to follow Him. Okay. So today we're going to be looking at the second sign or the second miracle, which is the healing of an official son. And this is found in uh, John chapter 4, verses 46 to 54. I'd like to in- encourage you to uh, turn your Bibles there right now. Verse 46. So he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son for he was at the point of death. Everybody say, at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official said to him, Sir, come down 
before my child dies. So he was inviting Jesus to come home with him in Capernaum. Jesus said to him, Go, your son will live. Five words. Go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. As he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better, and they said to him, Yesterday at the seventh hour, which is about 1 p.m., the fever left him. The father knew that that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, Your son will live. And there's the outcome of that sign, the miracle. And he himself believed, and what? All his household Verse 54, this was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. Let's bow our heads and pray. Father, thank you so much for our time together. Lord, we ask that you would illuminate your word. And Holy Spirit, we thank you because you are our guide and our teacher, the one who uh, leads us into all truth. I thank you, Lord, that you will increase our faith as we study this word today about the sign or the miracle of the nobleman's Son, thank you, Lord, uh, for who you are and for what you're doing in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So if you remember last week, where was the place where the first miracle happened? Cana, right? So that's the first miracle. There's a place or the, the city where uh, the first miracle took place. Jesus returns to the site of the first perfect miracle in Cana. Just a quick recap. Uh, Cana means uh, mother vine. And it's kind of odd for, you know, mother vine is the, the thing that you plant in a vineyard in order for the other vines to, to be fruitful. So that's exactly the first vine that you plant. And so it's kind of odd. That maybe uh, that's the place where there's a lot of vineyards. And it's kind of odd for them to lose wine or to run out of wine. Uh, as I said last week, it's kind of like going to uh, uh, Palayan City, Nueva Ecija, and uh, running out of rice. It's a central city of rice in the Philippines. And if you run out of rice in that particular city, it doesn't make sense. And so that's where the first miracle has transpired. And we see that as we've read the verses earlier, that Jesus returns exactly where the first miracle happens. So the second uh, miracle happens in exactly the same city, in the same place. In Cana, I don't know why, what's up with Cana. I don't know if, you know, uh, Jesus just wants to reveal himself there first because Jesus grew up in Capernaum, where the official actually is coming from. Okay? But it's interesting to note that, as I said earlier, that the first two miracles, you'll never find that in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. You'll only find the first two miracles in the book of John. I'm not, not sure if John told Matthew, Mark, and Luke, guys, akin to. You can take the other miracles, but this is mine. I don't know if that happened, okay? Because John was the, I think, the, the oldest apostle, and the other guys have gone before him, and he was still writing uh, the, the books of the island of Patmos, uh, particularly the book of, of Revelation, okay? So he wrote this about 100 years AD. But we noticed that First miracle is public, second miracle is public, but somehow in the middle of the first two public miracles, there's a not-so-public miracle that happened. Because we are now in chapter 4, verse 46, but you notice that last week we talked about chapter 2, and something happened in chapter 3 and chapter 4. In chapter 3, uh, Nicodemus, one of the Pharisees, or one of the teachers of the law, met with Christ, and he was asking about 
how he can have eternal life. And he said, unless you are born again, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. And then in chapter 4, you also find that there's a woman, a Samaritan woman by the well. And uh, basically, Jesus was uh, looking for water one time. And this woman went down there. And she's talking about a Samaritan is actually half Jew, half uh, Gentile. So they're like Tisoy uh, or hybrid, something like that. Okay, And so uh, they, they say that they, we, they, we worship God in this mountain, but you Jews worship God in your, in your temple. And so uh, Jesus said, so where's your husband? And she said, I don't have a husband. You're right, you don't have a husband. You've had five husbands before, and the one you're with right now is not even your husband. And so he basically had a word of knowledge for that woman, and that woman realized that this is the Christ that they're waiting for. And what she did was she brought the entire town to listen to Christ. And they, the Bible says they believed his word there. And so just to give us a, you know, just a quick uh, run-through of where Jesus started, okay? Last week, he started in Cana, went to Capernaum. Uh, you'll see that in the last few verses of uh, John chapter 2. He stayed uh, together with his mom, mom and, uh, and brothers and sisters. Uh, and so from Capernaum, he went down to Jerusalem uh, in the latter part of uh, John chapter 2, wherein he cleansed the temple. He actually overturned the tables, and you know the story, okay? So from Jerusalem, he went up again to uh, Sychar, and uh, he had an encounter with a Samaritan woman. In John chapter 2, verse 23, now while he was in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, many people saw the signs. Everybody saw the signs. Saw the signs he was performing and believed in his name. They saw the signs and believed in his name. How many of you know that that is good? If you see the signs, that is an indicator that someone is making those signs. Okay, Someone is making the miracle. And so the people's response is to believe in his name. But yet, many times the Jews had to wait for the signs in order for them to believe. If they don't see a sign, they don't believe. But Jesus is saying, blessed are those who believe even if they have not yet seen. And how many of you have seen who, who, Jesus? How many of you have seen him physically? Okay, how, have you seen Jesus physically lately? Has he walked around Alabang area? But yet, how many of you believe in him? And the Bible says you are blessed. Tell the person beside you, you're blessed. You're blessed because you believe even if you haven't seen. But Jesus would not entrust himself to them for he knew all people. He did not need any testimony about mankind for he knew what was in each person. So this is his uh, route and his direction from Jerusalem. Went to Samaria. That's where he met the Samaritan woman. And then he went up again to Cana. So basically he just went around in three different districts from Galilee, Samaria, and Judea. And then he went from Judea, Samaria, and back to Galilee. Okay? just want to read a couple of verses. Uh, in verse 39, uh, it says, Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the what? Woman's testimony, the Samaritan woman. Uh, he told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there for about two days. And he started preaching to them. And many more what? Many more believed because of his word. They believed not because of his signs. I want to just highlight that. We've read in chapter 2, they believed because of the signs. 
Many of the Jews believe because of the signs that Jesus performed. And if he, if he doesn't you know, uh, perform any sign, they won't believe. In fact, there was a time when Jesus, I think in John chapter 6, uh, as we move on further, when he multiplied the, five, the bread uh, with the five, feeding 5,000, just when the people were so full, they were still asking, so Jesus, what is the sign that you are sent from God? Hello, you just ate pandemanila and tilapia and you had your fill and you're asking for more signs. Many times people ask for more signs, not because they're interested in knowing who Jesus is, but because they want to have their fill, because they want to have their needs met. You know, there's nothing wrong with praying to God and having our needs met. But we can't stop at just having our needs met. Amen. Because I believe God wants us to move further into the miracle and really go beyond the signs. Everybody say beyond the signs. Beyond the signs, beyond the miracle, beyond the provision that you have, beyond the healing that you get, beyond the restoration of marriage that you, have, you get. God wants us to know who is the one behind and beyond the signs. Are we here this afternoon? Amen. Come on, can we give a good little praise right now? You know, I believe God wants to reveal Himself more to us every single day. Many times we see miracles and we don't even are aware it's a miracle. The provision that He gives us. Sometimes we just are so used to it and it's so familiar. We wake up in the morning and we have food on the table. How many of you know that that in itself is a simple miracle from God? Some people woke up this morning and have nothing to eat. Some people did not even wake up this morning. We woke up this morning and that's a miracle. That's a simple miracle of life. Come on now. The Bible says, He breathed life into man, Genesis chapter 2. That's a miracle. He made man into his own image and likeness. When He breathed life, He is the one who controls life. And He is the one who will uh, say, it's time to go. But as long as we're here on planet Earth, I believe every single day is a simple miracle from God. We need to go beyond the signs. And just like uh, the Samaritan, they actually believed God at His word. They didn't wait for the signs anymore. At His testimony, and many more believe because of His word. Logos. Jesus is the word. In the beginning was the word. John chapter 1, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He is the word personified. When they saw him, when they heard him, it makes sense that this is indeed the Son of God. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe. Because it's like secondhand information. We heard from you. You told us about him. But now he said, for we have heard for ourselves. And we know that this is indeed what? The Savior of the world. The Samaritans. Half Jew, half Gentiles. But yet they acted in faith and just believed at the verbatim, at the actual word of God. They did not even wait for any signs. In contrast with the Galileans, the Galileans were actually the people that live in the vicinity of Jesus. These are the ones who knew Him. They grew up with Him. They played basketball with him. They probably go to the same parties with him. They probably went to the same, uh, you know, uh, weddings and the same uh, venues of, you know, gatherings with him. So they knew him. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him. 
Okay? Having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. They only believe because of what he can do. Sharp contrast between the Samaritans and the Galileans. The Galileans probably, you know, had just been too familiar with him. In fact, in verse uh, 48, we've read this earlier, Jesus said to the nobleman, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. He was saying this in Cana, in the Galilean city. In fact, there were people who were hearing the request of the nobleman or the official. And if you look at the Greek of this, because you know it's in English, you cannot de- determine if it's plural or singular. But in the Greek, it actually is a plural form of you. So what he is, he, he's, he may be addressing the official, but he is in, effectively addressing everybody there, all the Galileans. Unless you all, unless you all see signs and wonders, you will not believe. So he was kind of like correcting them. Then Jesus told him, this is actually uh, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. We know that Thomas, because he didn't believe that Jesus resurrected unless he sees the mark on his hands and the feet. That's why he was called Doubting Thomas. Yet he was part of the apostles. You know, we need to all have faith. God values faith. God is pleased with faith. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1 says, Faith is being sure of what we hope for and being certain of things that we do not see. You know, faith is like that. It's, it's kind of like the currency in heaven. You can never talk to God and you can never relate with God apart from faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. You need to, you know, the, in fact, he moved further that those who come to him must know that he exists and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. In order for us to properly address God, we need to address him in faith. In order for us to relate to him, we need to relate to him in faith. Verse 46. Let's visit this again. So he came again to Cana in Galilee where he had made the water wine at Capernaum. There was an official whose son was ill. And, this, and when this uh, man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son for he was at the point of death. Who is this official? Who is this nobleman? You know, all we can find out is that he came from Capernaum he, uh, being a nobleman, is, it, it is said that he is part of the court of the king. The king of Judea at that time is King Herod Antipas, a very wicked king. He's one who killed his brothers and married his brother's wife. And so what they're saying, some scholars are saying that this nobleman or this official may even be a relative of the king himself. He is well-connected, he is so wealthy, he is so prominent, and he is so affluent. But yet, how many of you know that even at the point of need, your wealth, your influence, your connection will not matter? Come on now. Only one person can actually save us, and his name is Jesus. We can't really put our faith or our trust in the system or in the government. Or, Of course, yeah, we pray for the government. But we can't really rely on our resource, our own resource. It's not about how much zeros you have in your bank account or how many cars are there in your garage or how big your house is, how many square meters you have in your village. 
It's all about our connection with God. Amen. At the end of the day, it's the relationship with God that counts. And he was so desperate that he had to travel. He didn't even send a messenger, Jesus, come here. He was, you know, if, I don't know, if, if king, he, he's probably part of the cabinet of the king. But he took the time to travel for about 40 plus kilometers and from an elevation of 6,000 feet, imagine Tagaytay, that's how far he traveled just to meet Christ. In those days, there was no Uber, no Grab Taxi. So it takes you more than a day to travel. And he took that day to meet Jesus. But at first, he was seeking Jesus for one thing. He was seeking Jesus just so that his son will be well. He's kind of like having a, like a selfish motive in a sense because I'm here not to know who you are, but I'm here because I need you. How many of you appreciate a friend who only calls you when he needs you? Do you have relatives like that who only calls you or make paramdam when they need something from you? Don't even raise your hand. How many of you appreciate those kinds of friends or relatives? They only remember you when they have a need. But how many of you appreciate friends who call you anytime? You know, and whether there's a need or no need, they just want to hang out with you because they like being with you. And there's nothing wrong with this picture because this official, at least, he knew where to go. He could have gone to a faith healer. He could have gone to a witch doctor in the, in the barrio or in the city. But at least he knew where to find the one who can actually solve his problem because his son was sick. Let's do very quickly a contrast between the first and second sign. You know, last week, both of them are done in Cana. And the first miracle or the first sign was the turning of water to wine. The second is the healing of the official son. Turning of water to wine really is a sign that talks about power over nature. If you look at the seven miracles of John, there are three of the miracles or the signs that have power over nature. One is turning water into wine. The other one is feeding the 5,000. The other one is actually him calming the storm. And three of those are actually power over sickness. One is the official son. The other one is the next uh, week, I think, is the invalid in Bethesda, pool of Bethesda. And the other one is the blind man that we will actually talk about in the succeeding weeks. The water to wine, it's a time of celebration. It was a wedding. People were happy. People were excited until the wine ran out. In this, in this uh, situation of the official son, it was a time of sorrow, a time of grief, a time of gloom, a time of uncertainty, a time wherein they're not sure if the, the boy will survive. Uh, the first miracle, is uh, the purpose is to bring joy. Wine is used not to get drunk in those days. Wine is used so that they can actually be joyful and be happy and celebrate the goodness of God. The purpose of the healing is to relieve the family and the, the boy from suffering. And we know that the water to wine is actually power over time. Healing of the official son is power over space. Power over time really is, you know, this, the quick fermentation process. You know, how can that happen in so quickly? And yet the master of the banquet said, you have saved the best wine for the last. Now, I many of you know, if you're a wine drinker, that the best wines are made 
through the years. Quick fermentation process. What could happen in many, many years, he did it in a few seconds, just in the blink of an eye. And yet, the power over space is long-distance healing. How many of you had a long-distance love affair before? It doesn't really work, right? But anyway, so if you're married right now, I guess it works for you. Praise God, okay? That's the grace of God. But in this particular case, it's long-distance healing. We don't need to have Jesus to be there physically in order for Him to heal us. How many of you know that Jesus is powerful than all of nature, than all of the elements in the world because He is the one who created heavens and the earth? Amen. Can, you, can we give the Lord praise for that? He's an amazing God, the one who controls everything. Let's look very quickly at the condition of the boy and then dive into the faith of the official. He was sick to the point of death. I realize that death is no respecter of persons. You and I can get sick anytime. And it can be a simple sickness as in a fever or it can be a deadly disease like cancer. And anyone can be sick. In this particular case, it's a young boy. All of us will be facing this reality someday. We need to realize also that life is short and death is sure. Tap the person beside you and tell that person, life is short. Death is sure. Be ready. We need to be ready. I'm not here to scare you, but how many of you know that is a reality? They found out that the mortality rate worldwide is still the same, 100%. Everybody will still die, everybody, all of us, 100%. The question is when we will die. We cannot predict that. But the real question is, is where will we spend eternity? Yes, if we die physically, if you and I are believers, and if you and I are Christians, you may die physically, but you will live forever. Amen. And that's the promise of, of Jesus. In my Father's house are many rooms. And I'm going to take you with me there. That's a promise. But what about a person who is lost? A person who is lost when he dies his soul is lost forever because there's an eternal separation from God. And so we're not just talking about a physical kind of death. We're also talking about a spiritual kind of death. I'm going to show you a picture just so that you can imagine the gravity of the condition of the son of the official. Imagine a boy in the ICU with a lot of gadgets. How many of you know that that is life and death? We can actually now, you know, vividly see that, yeah, that's life and death. There's so many apparatus attached to that boy. In fact, yesterday I was talking about this particular sermon to my wife as we were just driving, just reviewing. I said to her, I'm going to talk about this, I'm going to talk about that. In fact, Jesus said to this official, go, your son will live. And then I paused for a while and I said, what about us? <laughs> what did God tell us? <laughs> he said, go I'll take your son with me. Something like that. Okay, I think that's what he said to us uh, when, when he did that about 15 years ago. The good thing is our son Jerome, though he's dead, he lives forever. In John chapter 11, verse 25, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he dies, yet shall he live. Amen. And if you, do, if you die, if you have Christ in your heart, there's nothing to be afraid of. 
Jesus is the one who gives us life everlasting. D.L. Moody said this, Someday you will read that I am dead. Don't you believe a word of it. At that moment, I shall be more alive than I am now. I shall have gone up higher, that is all, in a body that cannot be touched and sin cannot taint. Amen. That is our destiny as believers. Can we just give the Lord praise for that? That is our hope. The reason why you and I can celebrate every week that we come here and celebrate God's goodness is because of this thing called the resurrection. Though outwardly we, we are being wasted away, inwardly we are being renewed day by day, the Bible says. You may be seemingly getting old, the person beside you, okay? And even if you have stem cell, it doesn't really help much, okay? <laughs> it slows down a bit, the process of aging, but age still happens. But it's not about this physical appearance that matters. It's our spiritual man that happens. Let's look at the faith of the official, also the father. First level of faith that he had was a crisis kind of faith. Everybody say crisis faith. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son because he was at the point of death. Yes, death is no respecter of persons. I also realize that suffering and trials are also no respecter of social status and material wealth. It can hit us. Trials, sufferings, Having money or resource don't excuse you from problems. In fact, Jesus is the one who gave us a promise, in this world you will have troubles. How many of you are ready for that? It's not me saying that, it's Jesus who said that. But yet, the troubles and the crisis that come to us is not meant to punish us. Maybe, yes, it may be a consequence to your action, consequences to sin, but for the most part, I believe that God allows the crisis to come to us so that you and I can call unto Him. Amen. And the crisis and the trials and the hardship come to us in order for us to have a stronger faith. That's, I believe, the purpose of crisis and trials. James, Bible says, consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kind because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. And so, trials, crisis, they come in order for us to call out to God. This is what the official had initially. He had a crisis kind of faith. The good thing about this is he knew who to call. When the problems come, who are you going to call? No, not Ghostbusters. Okay. Jesus. Okay. You, know, the, the, you know, the sickness buster, okay? We, we can call unto Him. He can provide for all, our, for all our needs and He can heal our sickness. He knew for a fact that Jesus is the right person to call. How about us when crisis hits you? Who do you normally run to? Yes, you can run to friends, you can run to relatives, but at the end of the day, we run to the one who can actually fix the problem and His name is Jesus. Amen. The official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. There can be no worse crisis than for a parent to see his child be sick at the point of death, really. He probably ran out of options. He probably spent so much uh, you know, in, in medical practitioners, doctors, just wanting for him to heal his son but to no avail. 
And so he became so desperate, he started looking for this man who actually turned water into wine. And so he said, maybe, just maybe, he has the answer for my boy. And so what he said is, sir, come. He gave an invitation to Jesus. He said, come to us. Come to my home. Come and lay hands on my son. What was the response of Christ? Jesus said to him, go. And your son will live. He invited him, come. Jesus said, just go. How many of you sometimes, if you, if you actually read in this story, and if you know who Jesus is talking to, he's the official. He is like a cabinet member under the king's court. And I believe that the least that he could do is to go with him. But yet Jesus probably was testing his faith. Will you believe that if I say, go, your son will be healed, that he will be healed at my word? And you know what he did? He just simply responded, okay, I'll go. And he went. He went back. Second level of faith is confident kind of faith. He started with the crisis faith. Then it started building up because as he was going back and Jesus said to him, your son will live. And the man said, the Bible says, the man believed what? The word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. Jesus didn't give him any sign. There was no sign. He didn't even ask for a sign. Lord, if you are really saying, and if you're sure, can you at least turn my water into wine? Para baon, you know, you know, my trip back to Capernaum. He did not even ask for any. He simply believed in the word of Christ. And while he was still on the way, his servants met him with the news that his boy was what? His boy was living. And they went to him and they said, Sir, your boy, nagba-basketball na po. You know, like, what? What happened? You know, yesterday at 1, p- 1 p.m., you know, he started running. He started asking for food and then he started running to the streets and started playing basketball. We couldn't stop him. He's a normal boy. And this is what he said. When he inquired as to the time when his son got better, they said to him, the fever left him yesterday at the seventh hour. Exactly at 1 p.m. Then the father had realized that this was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, your son will live. How many of you know that once you experience the miracle of God, your life will never be the same again? It will never be the same again. When you start seeing answers to your prayer, you will have more confidence in this God that you are worshiping. Amen. When you start seeing answers, you know, like, you know, I believe God really just ordained this when we're like, we're young Christians. How many of you experienced it? When I was a young Christian, I would pray for a parking space and lo and behold, right before my eyes, a car would back up and say, wow, God, thank you. How many of you know that God really answers prayers? You know, and I believe that God is somehow just setting us up in order for us to experience answers to our prayers so that we can be more confident in our faith in Him. But yet, as we mature as believers, suddenly you realize, why is it that my parking prayer is no longer working? You know why? Because God wants to test your faith if you're going to have more patience in waiting for a parking space. It's a different battle this time. But yet God is bringing you into a bigger battle, maybe bigger giants, and setting you up for bigger miracles. Confident faith. 
small faith in the beginning, God meets you at the point of need and you realize, wow, it's kind of like going to the gym. You become confident in lifting up the 10-pound dumbbell and then you move from 10 to 15 and then 15 to 20, 15 to 25. You don't go from 0 to 150. You start small. And the more you develop your faith muscles, I believe God will show himself to you in a fresh and new way. Amen. Come on. Okay, we give the Lord praise this afternoon. My last point as I come to an end is contagious kind of faith. He started with Christ's faith. His motive in coming to Christ was not even to know him. His motive in coming to Christ is just so that he can receive a miracle and an answer to the prayer that he has made, that his boy will be healed. But yet he got more than what he asked for. He got the answer to his prayer. He was healed, but eventually he was saved. Not only himself, but his entire household. Amen. And that's the faith that we are asking for God uh, to do in our, in our midst. The father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. And this is the outcome. And he himself believed in all his household. If you notice, John already mentioned that this guy believed at his word before. When Jesus said, go, I will, you know, your son is well, he believed at the word of Christ. That was like a confident kind of belief. But why say this again? The, he himself believed again. I believe this is the belief the faith in his salvation, he turned to Christ after this. And not only him, he and his entire household. Amen. And I believe that our faith is kind of like that. The more you encounter Jesus, you cannot help but start talking about his goodness, his faithfulness, his power. And that's just a normal part of life. As I normally use the illustration, you know, when you like something, when you love the food, what do you do? You Instagram it, you tweet it, you put it on Facebook. You know, if you're proud about something like yesterday, you know, uh, I haven't really posted anything yet. My, my daughters were uh, doing like a performing arts uh, in their homeschool and they actually performed uh, in, in BGC in a theater there. And we were just so proud of that. And we said, this is so tweetable. You know, we need to like... I'm going to post it tonight, okay? I had the time last night. But I'm going to post it tonight because I'm so proud of them. In the same way, when you encounter Christ, when Jesus does something in your life that is worth bragging about and telling other people about, let's not stop. Let's tell other people about it, amen? Just like the Samaritan woman, when she heard that this is the Christ, she brought her entire town. Guys, this is, the, this is the one that we're waiting for for the longest time. He is the Christ. This official, he brought this entire household. And he actually just said things about him. Faith, I believe, is contagious. Amen. Faith is contagious, but at the same time, I believe doubt is also contagious. Which one do you have? In the desert, the Israelites always had doubt and unbelief, doubt and unbelief and complaint. It was so contagious that they actually started complaining. The entire Israelite community in the camp until they were judged by God. But yet, at the same time, faith is contagious. 
when you are surrounded by people who believe God and are, you're talking about it, you can't help but just continue talking about Christ and spreading the good news all over. Amen. Can we ask the music team to join me here on stage? Charles Spurgeon, I'm about to close. Look at yourself and doubts will increase. Look to God and your doubts will cease. Let's not look at ourselves. Let's look at God. Amen. He himself said, is anything too difficult for me? Of course, we know the answer. Nothing is too difficult for the Lord. We can put our trust in Him. We can believe and put our trust in Him. There's a saying in the world, to see is to believe. I believe in Christianity is the opposite. To believe is to see. We believe first, then we see the miracle happen. Amen. When you put your faith in the Lord and when you believe His name, I believe God can move mightily on our behalf. Amen? Maybe some of us are here this afternoon. Maybe you've been coming here for a while or maybe this is your first time here. The Bible says in John 3.16, a very familiar verse for us, For God so loved the world that He sent His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him will not perish but have everlasting life. And this same offer is being given to us this afternoon. If you are here today and you have not received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, maybe you're not sure about your eternal destination. Maybe you're not sure what happens to you if you die anytime and we don't know when our point of death is. But the Bible says you can be sure of your eternal destination. You can be sure that you can have life in the Son. You can be sure because of what Jesus Christ did on that cross. And all you have to do is to believe. And all you've got to do is to accept the gift of salvation that Jesus is offering to us. And if you are here this afternoon, and if you want to receive Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, and believe in His name with all heads bowed down and no looking around, I want you to lift up your hand right now and say, Pastor, pray for me. I'm that person. I want to receive Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Yes, ma'am. God bless you. Anyone else? Just lift it up before the Lord. Nothing to be ashamed of. This is the most important decision that anyone could ever make in his life. Yes, ma'am. I see that hand. God bless you. Anyone else? Lift it up quickly. Lift up your hand right now. I want to pray for you. Don't miss up this opportunity to give yourself to the Lord and to receive the greatest gift that God can give to us the gift of eternal life. Yes, ma'am. God bless you. If, you're, if you lifted up your hand, I want you to pray this prayer. In fact, I want to invite everyone to pray this prayer out loud with our own mouth. Father, everyone say, Father, thank you so much for what Jesus Christ did on the cross. I believe that He uh, sacrificed His life for my sins. I believe that He is the Son of God. I believe that He is the Lord of my life. I believe that He died on the cross, that He was buried, and on the third day He was raised from the dead, and He was resurrected from the cross, from the, from the grave. Thank You, Lord God, for eternal life that You have offered to me today. I receive it by faith. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen. Can we give the Lord praise for that? Thank you, Lord. One prayer that I want to pray before we end is maybe some of you are going through some crisis. It may not be exactly the same as the official. Maybe it's a crisis of marriage. Maybe a crisis of one of your children just having some difficulties. Maybe it's a crisis in your school or in your workplace, in finances, whatever it is. Maybe it's you yourself. You have a physical ailment. Whatever crisis that you're going through right now, can you just lift up our, our hand? 
all across this room. If you have anything that you want to bring to the, to the Lord right now, and if you want your faith to increase, I want us all to lift up our hands right now. Father God, we lift up our hands. We may be going through different crises in life, but Lord, we know that crisis is a way for us to come near to you. And I thank you, Lord God, that indeed as your people would come near to you, Lord God, putting our faith and our trust in the name of Jesus Christ for, us, for our Christ. I thank you, Lord God, that nothing is too difficult for the Lord. And even today, we thank you, Lord God, that you will heal our sickness, Lord God. You will provide for all our needs. You will heal our marriages. I pray for forgiveness. I pray for love. I pray for restoration. I pray, God, for reconciliation of relationships in the name of Jesus. I pray for strengthening, Lord God, of bonds in marriage and in families, Lord God. Thank you for an overflowing provision of your goodness and your grace, God. And once more especially, Lord God, we ask, Father God, for a fresh dose of faith to come to our hearts so that, Lord, we will graduate from a crisis kind of a faith to a contagious kind of a faith, Lord God, so that, Lord, we will not just believe for what we need, but we will believe for other people's needs as well and for other people's eternal needs, Lord God. So, Lord, thank you for the blessing of faith that you have imparted to your people even this afternoon. Thank you, Lord God. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you and the Lord turn His face toward you and grant you peace. May the righteousness, peace, and joy of God be with us always. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody say, Amen and Amen. God bless you.